Hello and welcome to RipperCast, your podcast on Jack the Ripper and the Whitechapel murders, bringing to you the 2017 East End Conference that took place over the weekend of the 5th and 6th of August at the Waterpoet in Fullgate Street and at the Curzon Cinema in Aldgate in the East End of London, England. The next speaker we are pleased to present is Carl Kopek. Carl is a football writer for the Anfield Rap and other publications, as well as being a novelist whose first book, And What Do You Do?, was published in 2014. Carl began writing about the Whitechapel murders online and ultimately in a blog series entitled 10 Weeks in Whitechapel, which was recently adopted for audio by RipperCast. His talk at the East End Conference is about this series and is entitled 10 Weeks in Whitechapel, A New Way of Telling the Story. So let's turn it over to MC Philip Hutchison at the Water Poet in Fulgate Street, introducing Carl Kopak. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Hope your stomach's associated with greasy food and beer and cider and other stuff. We have two speakers left at the rest of this East End Conference. And the next one is a gentleman who's fairly new to the field, Carl Kopak. Carl hails from Liverpool, and having convincingly failed both English and history at school as a writer and historian, his first book, I Does Good Stuff About Henry VIII in World War II and That, was published in 2012 by Robert Smith. He's mainly a freelance football writer for a whole host of publications such as The Times and The Anfield Rap, uh, but is also a novelist. Despite moving from his native city to London nearly 30 years ago to escape various police warrants and spending some of that time close to the Whitechapel area, he's relatively new to the field, only becoming interested in river studies three years ago. Since then, he's spent a lot of his free time taking photos of construction works, doorways, school car parks, paving stones, and things that aren't there anymore, trademark Andrew Firth, and has only been arrested twice. Uh, In February, he decided to write a 10-week series uh, about the murders called, imaginatively, 10 Weeks in Whitechapel, and brought Ripperology to a new audience. Originally a blog, he expected to garner a little interest. It soon grew into a popular podcast, which has now been translated over the last few weeks into over 100 languages worldwide, and is credited with saving the lives of thousands of orphans, and kittens, and puppies. Uh, words recently come from Buckingham Palace that Carl is to be awarded with an MBE for services to Ripperology. All, all this for a man who only a few years ago had never heard of a, a computer or even electricity. Carl's a fundraising manager for the British Art Foundation and is used to giving talks to schools, businesses and conferences, but this is the first time he's publicly spoken about the Ripper murders without being told he's morbid and weird. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, the gratuitously bloodthirsty and uh, psychologically questionable Carl Kopak. very kind of you. I am, as I'm about to demonstrate, very, very new to the field of Ripperology, and um, 
I'll be honest, slightly panicking at this moment. Um, so I thought, first of all, I'd just talk about who I am and basically who I'm not at the same time. Um, I am, as Philip says, a fundraising manager for the British Heart Foundation, so I've got no problem with talking, but it's very rare that I can talk to people in a room who know a lot more on a subject than I do. Um, although I do speak to eight-year-olds as well, so maybe that's something. Um, I am also a writer, and when I say writer, and it sounds very grandiose that I work for the Times, or I used to, um, it's pretty much the lowest of the low. I was a match reporter for the Times, working on First Division games. Um, I think I covered at one point seven games, one goal. So I'm very proud of that record. Um, so I have written for a lot of people, um, and uh, I get to use the clicker thing. So that's what I've used, so I've wrote them for them. So that's basically, it's, it's broken down between newspapers, um, and the bottom two I write about mental health as well. Um, and uh, I've also written a couple of books. It would be incredibly mercantile and vulgar of me though to post my books here and uh, point out that the one on the left is actually very, very cheap on Amazon at the moment. But the reason I put all the publications up is to show that none of this is history related. It's not Victorian related and it's not serial killer related. It's all very much something completely different. So I'm, as I say, when I say I'm new, I really am. Nothing to do with the subject up until 2014. That's not to say, though, that um, I had no interest in serial killers in particular. I grew up in Liverpool in uh, the 1970s when Peter Sutcliffe was doing his work just very close in Manchester at one point. And I can remember very, very, very um, vividly about having conversations, my mum and dad having conversations about she'd have to change her, her, her route home from work when he was still at large. And it, I remember the night he was caught and, uh, and that, that had a tremendous effect on me. So years later, I read Michael Bilston's book, We Could Be On Belief, and that really sort of got things going, and I thought I want to read more about that subject. So I had that sort of link. I also, for seven years or so, lived in Hackney. So we're basically one postcode away from where we are now, and uh, or is the other end of the Whitechapel High Street. And at no point whatsoever did I decide to go to Whitechapel and look up the Jack the Ripper murder sites or anything like that. I did. The only thing I knew about it, and I'm pretty strong on this point, I knew two things. One was killed near a flower bed, but I couldn't remember her name, and the other one was called Annie Hambry. <laughs> <laughs> I remember that very, very clearly. Um, so where does all this all start for me? It started in September 2014, on a very, very rainy Saturday. I was tasked with going to cover Millwall against Nottingham Forest for the Times. No shots on target, nil-nil. Um, but I was really I was in a bad mood anyway because my own team, Liverpool, were playing at West Ham that day and all my friends were going to the late game at five o'clock. I'm just very, very frustrated at this. So I watched the game and I sat down just at the press conference just to hear the, the managers, and I apologise for the term, literally polish a turd about what we just had to sit through. And I asked my questions and I had my laptop on my desk on my lap and thought, at least if Liverpool win, not too bad. We lost 3-0. Um, so, but I'd arranged to meet my friend Dev um, on the other side of the river. So I basically thought, because I'm in South East London, he's in East London, we'll meet at Bishopsgate and we'll have a drink and maybe put this day behind us. I decided at that point that when I got to London Bridge, because I was going to be a bit earlier, I'd, I'd walk across the bridge and just walk up towards Bishopsgate. Uh, that seemed a good plan. I was going to be very, very early. 
I got very, very lost indeed doing that, which is, if you think I used to live in Hackney and used to regularly go to London Bridge, you think that would be impossible to miss Bishopsgate and Gracechurch Streets and what have you. But I got very lost and I decided one day, sorry, I decided there and then, I'll just cut through a few streets. How hard can it be? And at that point, I came to Mitre Street. Now, Mitre Street really meant something to me, but I couldn't think what it was. It was raining hard. My mate was texting me furiously asking where I was. But I thought, no, something's bothering about Mitre Street, and I couldn't work out what it was. And I heard some voices in the distance, and I just turned the corner and came upon a site very, very similar to that. Uh, I'd like to thank Andrew for that picture, by the way. That's in Ripperland, and it's great, because that's pretty much what I saw. I saw a man standing on a park bench talking to people about somebody called Catherine. And it may well have been you, Philip. I'm not, I, I think it may well have been you. Um, so I just thought, well, look, I'm going to lose a friendship here. I've got to go. I can't listen. And obviously, I didn't pay for here at all. But I thought, I wonder where the body was. And I remember that point really clearly. I thought, I'll look that up later. I'll definitely look that up later when I come back. So I did. I went to meet my friend. He's fortunately still my friend today. Uh, but when I got home, I thought, I'll just Google Mitre Square. Then I Googled everything else can do with Catherine Eddowes. Over the next three months, I think I looked at every, I heard every single casebook podcast at least twice, possibly more. Um, exactly. And <laughs> I read everything. I watched uh, as many YouTube documentaries as possible. Um, I watched all of Philip's documentaries because he basically had the same. He basically said that happened there, and I was really, I wasn't really interested in the killer as much. I was interested in what happened on that piece of ground there, and I like things like that because, as my introduction, introduction said, I am morbid and weird. So that was a huge thing for me. So I just kept looking and looking at things. And I just wanted to know everything. You know, there's a film, Short Circuit, I think it's called, where the robot says, input, input, input. I read absolutely everything that I could possibly get my hands on. I read some of the finest research known to anyone, really. I read, obviously, anything with the word Paul Begg on it. I read everything. Where, I, read, I read the, um, the Sugden book, etc. And um, even some of the finest research you'll ever see. That's a, it's a shame you probably can't see that, but that's a, from a documentary which shows how Bucks Row runs into Dorset Street, uh, just at the top of the road at Mitre Square there. Um, that's my favourite image at the moment. So that was September 2014. The following January, I went on a tour. Um, Philip's in this tour more than I am, to be honest. So I went on Philip's tour. Um, and lots of questions and uh, I basically just thought right now I want to know more that's not enough I, I need to know the, where the other murder sites are that weren't covered on that particular walk I needed to go to Books Row I needed to go to Burner Street and I wanted to do as much as possible after a while I found that I was more interested in the, the sort of minutiae not even directly related to the case in some ways and I became interested in the whole George Hutchison so I went back to the East End, and like many people, probably in this room have done, took photos of streets and things. So I started following George Hutchison around. This is just my own personal thing. I'm not saying he was the Ripper, and I've realized I've got them in the wrong order. So obviously where he meets Mary Kelly, where she meets Astrakhan Man, and the Queen's head, which that shows how long ago that photo was. So I got more and more interested in that sort of thing. Um, I also started to take some slightly illegal measures by uh, looking over Books Road and uh, taking pictures of things that I'm not actually allowed to do thanks to the cross rail. And I started pestering people on social media. 
um, Philip in particular, Neil. Um, and when one day I was putting posters up on Facebook to say, I think I finally got the spots for the Alice McKenzie murder, Neil got so bored with me that he basically sent me that photo over there with a big sign saying, for God's sake, Carl, it was there, so if you've got that wrong. So basically, slowly but surely, I was beginning to get a bit more and more involved in it all. Um, at one point, I took my mother on a walk around. <laughs> basically, if you came to see me, um, you were getting a ripple, whether you liked it or not. Uh, my mother walked around, and at the end of it, we only spoke a few places, but I booked it to go and see on, on, on Richard Jones's company again, and this time it was John Bennett, and um, he was the first ripperologist I ever met, in fact. So that was a good year and a half afterwards, because I was very much on, on the edge of things, um, and a bit shy, if I'm honest. Uh, at the end of that day, I asked my mother, um, which did you prefer, you know, the, the knowledge that he was being garnished by your own and only son um, of the ripper sites, or... John Bennett. She said John Bennett. Um, I asked her why, and she said, he was entertaining. <laughs> I decided at that point that I would never write anything about Jack the Ripper which could possibly be related to entertainment. Um, but I did write a couple of things. I wrote on my own blog. I wrote two pieces, one about the double event, and I wrote one about George Hodgson. Um, and I sort of left it there. Um, I would occasionally talk on Twitter about Jack the Ripper, but I would say I'm a football writer, so most of my followers, I'd say 90% of them, um, are only interested in my football writing. And interesting is a very, I wouldn't go as far as interesting, but you know, but they talk to me about football all the time, and every now and then I talk about, I've just been to see this, and here's a photo of a paving stone, etc. that no one will get. Now, I want to talk very briefly about my friend Martin Fitzgerald, uh, who works for Sea Tickets. Um, he started something, he's, he's got two interests in life, one is music and the other one is the JFK assassination. Um, he started this, Ruth and Martin's album club, Ruth's a colleague and friend of his, and he had this really great idea one day, this is relevant, trust me, um, he had this great idea one day where he would go to famous people, say, have you ever heard Meet is Murder by the Smiths? He would ask that to Jacob Rees-Mogg, for example. He would say no, then they play it three times, and then they write what they found, what they thought beforehand, and what they said afterwards. And he's written a book about it, and it's brilliant. Um, but I really liked that idea. A year later, he decided to look at the second side um, of, his, of his fascination in life, which is JFK assassination. So he came up with Ram JFK Club. I think that's his mum, incidentally. I think that's Martin the mum, I'm not sure. Um, but what was interesting for me about that, because I've got a vague interest in it, he wrote individual pieces on the minutiae of the day, of that happened that day in Dealey Plaza. So he wrote a piece on uh, the Umbrella Man, he wrote a piece on the Babushka Lady, he wrote a piece on the Tramps, all across separate weeks. And I really liked that idea, and as a big fan of plagiarism, um, I thought... <laughs> I, I, on the 25th of February, I joke, this is an honest joke, it was just a joke, I tweeted this. I will eventually tweet this. Might do a ripper column in the style of Ram JFK Club. And I don't know if you can see that, but Martin says at the end, do it. Um, I repeated that threat a few times, but I thought, well, I don't know if I can do it. Because I know I'm not an expert, I know practically nothing compared to a lot of people, and in this room I very much am the lowest um, person in this room, and regarding knowledge as well at the same time. Um, so, despite being unable to entertain my own mother on the subject of Jack the Ripper, uh, I thought, well, I think I'm going to do it. I think I'm going to write a series called Ten Weeks in Whitechapel, 
not expecting it to go anywhere whatsoever. So I thought, well, what are my aims? What do I intend to achieve in this? And I'm going to be brutally honest here. The first aim was to entertain myself. I like writing, it's the thing I do. And I like, to, I like the subject of riffology. I'm going to entertain myself by doing it. I get to research things, I get to look at things properly rather than being vague about it. I'm pestering the poor people on the front row here and saying, who did that? Where's that? Etc. So I thought, I'm going to look at that myself. So I wanted to do that. I wanted to make it as broad as possible. I wanted it to be, as John Reese says, a Ripple 101. I didn't want to go into the absolute minutiae, although I do at some point occasionally. Um, I wanted to be accessible. And moreover, and this sounds incredibly insulting to this audience, I didn't write it for you. I wrote it for people who are fresh to the case. My audience were football rugby people. And they would say, and I got plenty of people saying, yes, write it, I would read that. If you, wrote, if you wrote that, Carl, I would read it. So I wrote it for them. So I kept it as vague and as light as possible. Um, but moreover, I wrote it for the 2014 me who stumbled into Mitre Square that day. And that was a huge thing. I thought, this is the thing I would like to read. Why don't I just write it? So I decided to write it um, fresh on the proviso that no one will ever read it. I have absolutely no problem with that whatsoever. I thought this is just a personal thing. It's never going to get anywhere at all. Um, I made a few plans. I decided, first one, be prepared to make mistakes. And I put that in the introduction. I'm going to make mistakes. I'm very new still. I decided also um, not to publish the photos of the victims, be it the autopsy pictures or the um, Ed Eddowes and Catherine Eddowes and Mary Jane Kelly. I decided not to do that because, again, it's because of the audience, because I think if I would have put the photos in, it would have looked as if I was saying, isn't it cool that I'm into this? Look at that, isn't that interesting? When, of course, as Charlotte pointed out last night, they, these are very, very real people who died absolutely horribly, and I wanted to respect that name as well. So it was very, and although I, I, there's a great deal of, of levity in, in the blog, I, I tried to make it as clear as possible that, you know, you're not getting to see that. In fact, I actively discourage people to look at the images as well. Of course, the more you say that, the more people are going to click, and I had a few emails about that. Um, so how do I write it? How do I write 10 weeks in Whitechapel? I hadn't really thought about that until, obviously, you have to write 10 pieces in 10 weeks, but how do you break down those weeks? Well, the introduction is pretty easy. Who am I? The murders are pretty easy, although at one point I decided, do I write the double event in one go? Bearing in mind, I spent 8,000 words on Annie Chapman alone. So the double event one could literally run to a small book by the time I finish with it. So I ran a small, I opened up a separate Twitter account, J, I think it's JDR 1888, and they asked people what they'd like, and they said, we'd like it in one go, please. And then my mum said, put it in one go, don't be stupid. Her words, I got on very well with my mum. <laughs> and then the rest of it, uh, obviously Mary Kelly, um, the contemporary suspects, uh, the modern suspects, uh, a Q&A and then a conclusion. When I mention the suspects, one thing, I, another aim really I wanted to, to get over is um, I'm not coming up with a suspect at the end of it. I'm not saying this, um, this is what I think because I've seen so many YouTube clips of people saying I know for a fact that it was Joseph Barnett. There's one person I've said, I've seen that. But at the end of this video, I will show you who Jack the Ripper was. And I kept thinking, no you won't. But um, there's a very limited opportunity, the chance that you'll do that. So I 
wanted to keep it as broad as possible, sort of, these are the facts, this is what Aaron Kosminski was like, this is what Ostrog was like, etc. And I want to keep that to that. The only exception I made was the Royal Conspiracy, which I absolutely ripped to pieces, because um, I just thought it's very difficult not to. Um, so I was more than happy to do that. Um, as for the blog itself in terms of success, I was getting around, and bearing in mind this is a non-ripper audience, I was getting about two to three hundred hits per episode to, per blog on it. All new people, all asking me questions occasionally as well. Um, and I thought that for me is a success. I honestly thought I'd get fewer than ten. Ten a week, honestly, because um, my football writing, I get about 12,000 hits a week. But it's a very, very small crossover between ripperology and the Anfield rap. Uh, it still is. Um, but I was getting little hints that it was getting somewhere. One day I got a direct message on Twitter which says, really sorry to bother you. Um, can you tell me which direction Mrs. Long was walking in when she walked past the man with Annie Chapman on the 8th of September? And I answered the question and it took me about an hour later I thought, he's really looked into that to know that. And what I really like about it, and I'm blowing my own trumpet, is he's obviously thought, that's good. I want to go away and read something else about it now. And I thought, that's a really nice thing. As a writer, that's what you try to do as a writer. You try to get to, to pique people's interest to such a degree that they, they want to go and look for themselves and say, you know, what do they want to do next? Um, my editor, when I was at the Times, my friend Tony, um, he met me, I met him for a drink, and he said, I really, uh, I'm enjoying the blog, it's quite good, you know. You're useless, but you're quite good at that, I suppose. He's very much that sort of editor. Um, and he said to me, well, what I find really interesting, Carl, about your piece on the double event was this. And I said, I haven't written about the double event yet. He said, no, you have. You did it last week. I said, no, the last thing I wrote was about Andy Chapman. And he went, sorry. When I read the, Randy, the Andy Chapman piece, I googled the double event and started all night reading about it. Sorry, I thought I'd assumed that. I'm going to get mixed up, but then he asked the question anyway. And again, it was the same thought of, I've read this, but now I want to know more, and I can't be bothered waiting the next week. Because at the end of every um, blog, I've said, next week I'm talking about this. So feel free to miss it out, pretty much what I was saying. Um, so I was getting somewhere with the blog. And again, on a very, very amateurish level, I cannot stress that enough. And if, if you've read it, you'll agree with me. Um, but what happened next is I had a, a tweet from Jonathan Mengus, Casebook, who said to me, would you like to come on and talk about your blog? That was an extraordinary moment for me because of course, because of case, it was because of Casebook that I really started uh, getting involved in the case and I was listening to people like Paul Begg and, and, uh, and there's a Martin Fido which I played several times and, and I thought, well this is extraordinary, this has come full circle. I've gone from because of that, I've moved on to this and now I'm on that as well. And I was on the show with Neil and, uh, and then John Rees and um, they didn't bite my head off, which was extraordinary. Um, but at the beginning of that, we, um, Jonathan said to me, I like the blog, what are you going to do with it? And I said, if this is going to go along the lines of do I intend to self-publish it? I thought, no, because one thing I, I'm very honest about on it, about it is I don't say anything new. There is nothing new in the blog whatsoever. I'm just literally putting it down there and walking away from it and saying that's what I've written. Um, but he, wasn't, he didn't say that at all. He said, have you thought about making it an audio series and leaving it as a, a notice of record, I think was the term he used. I laughed myself stupid at that. I thought, that's insane that you're doing that. But, uh, but it's very, very nice. So I thought, yes, I'll do that. So Jonathan put a cast together to do that. 
Um, he's told me since that he sometimes he wish he hadn't bothered because it was a nightmare to organise. Um, but we did have a very interesting chat about who should do the voice of the ripper for the letters. And obviously we chose Ali Ryder, who else could you choose? Because um, Jack the Ripper certainly had the same accent as Ali Ryder from the South. There were, so I was forced, forced is the wrong word, sorry. I was offered to narrate the main side of the article. Philip read the newspaper reports, Neil read the police reports. Um, and a whole host of other people gave up tons of time to do it. And it was such a, uh, not even click the thing, there it is. And all those people gave all their time to do that. And I'm immensely grateful for that. But there were some difficulties in narrating the piece as well. Firstly, um, I think everyone here is happy with their own pronunciation of Elizabeth Stride's maiden name. Would you say that's the case? God, you're good. Um, that's only a few goes. But I also had to, um, I, I did a piece about George Chapman, and I had to, uh, and in the article I wrote on him, I mentioned the name of his son who sadly died. Anyone care to try that one? I didn't. So it was called George Chapman's son in the piece. And that happened a lot, to be honest. Uh, I've got it here. It's written down as, look, I think it's Laddish Law. I've just offended the entire Eastern Europe. What is it your thought? It's slow, it's slow. Schlav. Bloody Schlav. No. It's not Swedish now. I'll take that. That's fine. That's close enough. There's only a small body of water in the way. And at one point I had to say the words multiple mutilating murderer. And it was then I asked myself, who the hell wrote this? Why can't they just write something else? Um, so this resulted in more in more podcasts. I ended up on a podcast with Paul Beck, um, uh, which I've done a few times now. And what struck me again was the idiot who got lost in East London is walking around Mitre Street and three years later I was doing a show with uh, doing podcast with Paul Begg and where he actually took the piss out of me a few times which was quite nice as well and what that told me more than anything else is of that whole series is there's a great deal of similarity between the world of football writing and ripperology <laughs> bear with me on this there is a case <laughs> football writing particularly writing for Liverpool it's very, very factional. It's if you believe this, you automatically believe this uh, and nothing else, and you're not prepared to change your mind. And if you don't agree with me, you can be an idiot. I'm not saying reproach is that harsh, but there are times when people think, if I believe this, it means that everything else is wrong in the world. And that does bother me occasionally. And But I've got to say, when I did 10 Weeks in Whitechapel and when I did the audio series, it was fascinating to me that Although I've heard that to be the case, every single person I spoke to was immensely helpful and grateful and couldn't do enough for me. And that is a lovely, lovely thing. And it's just given me this final point, really. It's basically when we help in, in Ripperology, when we help and share and we collaborate, Ripperology is really is a thing of joy. It's a fantastic thing. And the path from 2014 to standing here today for me has, has been a whirlwind and it just keeps, this whole new world is open to me. And I'd really like to thank you for your part in it today. It's amazing being here, and it's amazing being part of 10 Weeks of White Chapel. And I'd like to thank every single one of you today. Thank you.
Are there questions for Carl on the podcast, on his blog? Not about who's going to win the FA Cup. Aha. Where is the podcast available? Is it iTunes? It's on, um, it's Ripcast. It's Casebook. It's the main one. They did they did ten whole weeks on it, ten successive weeks. It's Jonathan Magnus's account. Um, so it's it's still it's, I think it's going to be there forever. To be honest, that that was his idea of it anyway. Carl, are you sure about that scoreline? I'm a West Ham supporter. <laughs> <laughs> You'd be it was two nil in seven minutes, and I spent the entire press conference with my head in my hands, and then I had to ask Stuart Pearce a question: Who played for West Ham uh, in his past? That was a really dark moment in my life. <laughs> I wasn't happy with that at all. Any more? Yes. I just want to say I've listened to it. It's great. Oh, thank you very much. Thank you. I think Christine's voice should have been on it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> if we do it again, we won't be doing it again, believe me. <laughs> but if we do it again, <laughs> why not? I don't know, to be honest. Um, well, that's the sequel, 11 Weeks in Whitechapel, yeah. Um, I don't know, I was thinking of adding something on it, doing a fresh blog about um, what happened since, and... Um, and how things have changed. I'm particularly interested in what John Bennett said yesterday uh, about how the area's changed. And I was going to do an extra piece on what white travel's like now and think, things like that. I mean, I've only been in the, interested in the subject for three years, but already White Rose Car Park's gone in that time. And um, John said yesterday, no one's going to miss that. But uh, it's changed so much. So I think maybe I might do something on that. But I think John's pretty much cornered the market in that argument, to be honest. So. He does know a little bit more about it than me, so uh, I might do. I might do an additional piece, but I'm not sure yet. People have asked me for it, which is incredible. Mark. Which of the mistakes you made in your podcast were you most amused by? <laughs> it's it's like speaking to a northwest fisherman and saying which was your favourite fish. There were billions of them. Um, there was so many of them. Where I can tell you, Ali Riders. Ali Rider had to read out the the Opatura Opatura letter. Openshaw, and um, she just broke down halfway through and just started shouting, swearing at it, and shouting, Which, who speaks like this dumb hick occasionally, and things like that. I had so many. Jonathan said that um, I spent most of one of the blogs I underrated just saying, sorry, 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 I'll go again. I'm really sorry, Jonathan. I'm very English when it comes to things like that. I was very, very apologetic. Um, no, I mean, yeah, it's a multiple mutilating murderer. That one took about an hour before I got it right. I was trying to read it in the same, and obviously because I'm from the north, I speak very quickly as well, uh, in case people are going to interrupt me. But um, so that one just took an age. Yes. What was it about um, an adjourned Hudson that made you interested? You? Oh, he's great. <laughs> he's absolutely great. Is he? He's either the man who could solve the whole thing, or the greatest liar in the history of everything ever. And I love that about him. I love the fact that he took Aberline round, knowing full well, if it is a lie, I'm fairly sure it was, knowing full well that he's just saying, I just needed the money, or you know, I just... <laughs> and he's walking around with him night after night, and then the fact that he just disappears completely. When I got into the case, it was George Hutchinson that got me into it. We should have a chat. <laughs> <laughs> I th honestly, I think he's absolutely amazing, George Hutchison, and, and I will still 
when I'm showing some friends around the area, every now and then I'll just point to um, you know the, the Victoria Workingman's home and just say, by the way, he's there. Hi. Are you in touch with Bob Hinton, who, uh, who wrote the first book? No. I've, I've recently just read it yeah. as well. Yeah. And um, it's a great book. It is. And uh, he sounds very angry in the book as well, which is, uh, there's, a, a, there's, there's a line which he writes, which is really, he's, uh, he wrote it for the first of the people who, who says we should just let them out no matter what they've done just because we're nice. He says something like that, and I thought, my God, that's angry. I like that. But I, I don't think, I'm still too, I'm nervous being here. I'm never mind speaking to Bob Hinton. That was, uh, that's, that's the George Hutchinson man. But no, I, I just love everything about George Hutchinson. It's just fantastic. The, fact, the big thing, obviously, is that you can go and stand on the same place where he says, that's where Jack the Ripper was talking to Mary Kelly. This is, I mean, it's great that they've opened the Queen's Head sign up as well, and mm-hmm. that's underneath that, so I got lots of that, yes. So do you I've heard that it's a complete lie, but I don't know. And this is the, this is the best thing about this case for me. I don't know. And it's great to say you don't know about something. Because again, coming back to the football writing side of things, people expect you. They're called in the nose on Twitter. People say, um, I think Liverpool should be signing this player. Yeah, but what do you know? Do you know? Are you, can, you, can you back that up by saying you have to say the word done deal at the end, which means you're 100% about it. And in the field of football, in the field of ripperology, it's great not to know things. But it's also fantastic to have all these amazing resources around us where we just think, I like that idea. Um, in fact, when I went on Philip's tour for the first time and someone said to who was Jack the Ripper? And he went, I don't know, I don't care. I thought, yes, that's exactly what I want to hear. That's exactly what I want to hear. Because I don't want to say, it was definitely 100% this man and you're an idiot if you don't believe otherwise. Which is the football way of doing things. Uh, <laughs> so it's quite nice to be from that way. Incidentally, I have got football followers who've become repherologists who now slag me off on two spheres. <laughs> that's really nice. You always talk about George Hutchison. How could it possibly be George Hutchison when he wasn't even in, etc.? I thought, I'm pretty sure you've never mentioned George <laughs> to me in my life ever, so it's quite nice to be bollocked from two sides of the world. I quite like that. Anyone else? Well, I just wanted to just point out, we talked about these signs at the, at the uh, Queen's Head. Yes. You might, you might want to take a little sergeant past the we've done tonight. I've just been to Itchy Park and go around the corner because I was shouted at by a tramp, so I really have lived the East End dream. Um, I didn't go around the corner, but I saw when they opened it, um, it was about a year ago when they first started taking yeah, it down. That, yeah, it's, it's, not, it's not the livery on the side that was half gone. The portico part at the top of oh, the Queen's Head has been cleaned yeah. up and it's on display right now. The whole so thing now? Yeah, it's got scaffolding around it, you can see it quite clearly. Yeah. I'm off, so thanks very much. Really. It's at the top like the front. Okay. Looking at it from across the road. Stand from the opposite side of the road to get together. In fact, you walked past me when I was... We've been talking about it. Yeah. Yeah. This is brilliant, yeah. And this is exactly what I mean. This is fantastic to learn things like that. But yeah, that's why I really like George Hutchinson, just because it's it's geographically, it's there. He, was, he said he was standing there, and that's an amazing thing. I love that. Anyone else? Can I be released? No, you can leave. There you go, man, until five o'clock. I'm not filibustering till Tom's West got some. Brilliant, thank you very much, everyone. Brilliant. Well done. And that was Carl Kopak with 10 Weeks in Whitechapel, A New Way of Telling the Story. I'd like to thank Carl for his excellent talk, as well as Adam Wood, Mark Ripper, and Andrew Firth for making this and all of the presentations we are releasing possible. 
We are a podcast sponsored and hosted by Casebook.org, where you will find over 100 roundtable discussions, author interviews, and conference presentations, all about Jack the Ripper and the Whitechapel murders, and Victorian history and crime. I would like to thank you all for listening, and we'll see you next time.